Good evening, and welcome to another installment of Midnight Audio Theatre, the weekly show where we bring you new and original audio dramas, be they adventure, mystery, sci-fi, or comedy. I'm your host, Kathy Rinella. Hello, and welcome back for another hour of late-night storytelling, dear listeners. We've had a good bit of science fiction lately, and while there's a little bit of sci-fi in tonight's show, it is a healthy dose of horror, suspense, and the supernatural. But first, uh, some quick notes about our recent MAT Features auditions. Yes, our audition window has closed, and we're wrapping up decisions for the majority of roles cast this Sunday. Be sure to keep an eye out on our website at midnightaudiotheater.com for more details. And if you missed out on any of our script writing competition this year, fear not. There are many audio drama script competitions that have popped up over the last few years. So be sure to check out the Marion Thower Brown Audio Drama Script Writing Competition, along with the Little Wonder Breaking Boundaries Radio Play Competition. Both are getting ready to kick things off in April, so be sure to check them out and submit your work. But now, on to the feature story for tonight. Zoom Doom Stories has already received acclaim for their first series, Spines, so it's no surprise that Mirrors would be equally as gripping and intriguing. Written and produced by Jamie Killen, the series is an example of storytelling that doesn't need much in the way of sound design, because the actors craft their tale in a way that you think and hear whatever you might find missing. Along with Jamie, the story stars Lucy Pierce and Sarah Hemi, with occasional voicing from Sarah Rhea Warner of Girl in Space fame. Mirrors Season 2 is in production right now, and they are currently casting a new major character. Be sure to visit their website at mirrorspodcast.com for more details. But right now, it's time to dive in for our Listen to Mirrors Season 1 with Chapters 1 and 2. Enjoy! Alright, I don't have much time to talk, but I thought I'd get started on it anyway, before I lose my nerve. I can at least tell the basics before I have to get to cocktail hour in time. God, cocktail hour. I hate cocktail hour. But that's not what this is about, is it? This is about what I saw in the corridor outside the file rooms. I... Well, I suppose I should explain where I am, shouldn't I? Not that these tapes are for anyone, necessarily. But, I don't know, it just doesn't seem right to tell a story without the background, does it? Especially not a ghost story. One can't just jump straight to the ghost, can one? The place where I work, the place where I am now, used to be an estate for some wealthy Massachusetts family. Nothing like what we've got back in England, of course. I'm not very posh myself. But at Cambridge, I knew people whose families still held on to their castles proper castles out in the country with 300 rooms and priest holes and things. Americans don't really have places quite like that. Not that I'm looking down on them for it. On the contrary, I don't think there's any place at all for that kind of old money in the modern world. I mean, it's 1962 for goodness sake, shouldn't we be past all that? (laughs) 
Oh dear. Better not let Dr. Sykes find this tape. He'll probably have me locked up as a communist spy. Not that Dr. Sykes would ever lower himself to setting up his secretary's tape player. Nope. The division of labour is quite clear. He dictates onto the tapes and I transcribe what he says. Nothing more. Oh gosh, I'm stalling, aren't I? I'm sorry, whoever isn't listening. Back to where I work. It's this great hulking house outside a small town in Massachusetts. Not one you've heard of, unless you live nearby. We call it the shipwreck. Although, no one seems to remember why. It's not a wreck at all. It's lovely. Or, I'm sure it was back when people lived in it. Wide staircases, high ceilings, carved wooden panelling along the walls. It must have been a wonderful place for parties and Christmases. But now it's been converted into a research institute. The Institute for Scientific Strategy and Defence. I'm sure that sounds terribly exciting, but it's not. Mostly it's grant applications, as far as I can tell. But there is classified research that goes on in the labs downstairs where Charles works. That's my husband, Charles. Charlie. Me, though, I work upstairs as a secretary to Dr Sykes, which is how I came to be in the East Corridor last week. That was where I first saw the ghost. The corridor is usually deserted. Sometimes one of the girls in the typing pool has to pull something from one of the old file rooms, but most of the people who work in the shipwreck don't have much of a reason to be there. I'm the only one who constantly has to run back and forth fetching old files for Dr Sykes, sometimes four or five times a day. Anyway, last week... I was going to fetch another file when I heard something from the end of the hall. It was... It's strange. Now that it's passed, it's difficult for me to remember what it sounded like. A kind of slow, deliberate cracking, I suppose. As if someone was very slowly and deliberately breaking a stick in half. I turned to see what was making the sound, but I couldn't find anything at first. There aren't any windows, and the light bulbs are often burned out in that area, no matter how many times I ask maintenance to change them. You'd almost think it was deliberate how often those lights don't work. Anyway, it was dark, so it took me a moment to see it. Then it floated across the corridor, out of the shadows, and right out where I could see it. It didn't have a clearly defined shape, this ghost. More like a tall, vague shadow, but its shape suggested someone in long, loose clothing. Maybe a nightgown or a long, shapeless dress. It was pale and slightly translucent. I couldn't make any facial features out. In fact, I think it was wearing some kind of veil, something covering the face. But something about it did give me the impression of being watched. 
At first, I also thought she had long trailing sleeves, like something from the Middle Ages. Then I realised those weren't her sleeves at all. They were her fingers. Her. Why do I assume it was a woman? Dunno. You couldn't really tell from looking. It just felt like a her. Those fingers, though. The arms were a sort of loose, vague shape from the sleeves, I guess. But the fingers, extending from the ends of the arms, were far more clearly defined. I could see where they stood out against the light from the end of the hall. I could see them move, and they weren't just long sleeves. I could see them drag against the floor. The fingers, you see, were several feet long. It was a little difficult to judge the ghost's height or proportions from where I stood, but she she didn't seem significantly taller or shorter than an average person. Even so, the fingers stretched out from beneath her sleeves and all the way to the carpet of the hallway. They had far more joints than most fingers, like, uh, like a spider's limbs. The figure stopped in the middle of the hall and cocked her head slightly as though listening. Most of her body remained perfectly still, but her fingers flexed and jerked. That was when I realised what had been making that slow cracking sound. That sound like long dry sticks breaking into. We stared at each other for what felt like a long time. Me oh, so petrified, I couldn't move. The ghost cracking her fingers as she watched. Then, without warning, she darted back into the shadow where the bulb had burned out and she was gone. I ran back to my office in a panic, moving so fast I twisted my ankle. Thank God Dr Sykes wasn't there. I must have looked frightful and I'm sure I would have blurted out everything I'd just seen if I'd run into anyone in that moment. But no one was there and I was able to calm myself and take a few minutes to think about what had happened. That first time, I very quickly convinced myself that it had been a trick of the light, the wind creaking the boards of an old, dusty house. That would have been the end of it, except I saw the ghost again three days later. Well, I sure wasn't looking forward to ever doing one of these again. Jesus. I still can't believe that it's happening. Okay, here's the situation. I'm starting a journal, and uh, I think I'd rather have it be an audio journal at this point. Not really sure why. Something about writing this stuff down just doesn't feel right. I'm journaling because I'm thinking about going back to Dr. Reyes, and she used to have me journal back when I was her patient. I haven't made my mind up on it yet, uh, but if you're listening to this, uh, hey, Dr. Reyes, it's me, Sierra. Remember? For now, until I decide whether or not I'm going back, I think I just need to get my thoughts together, and this might help. I don't think I can talk to anyone else about this, uh, not even my wife. 
I don't, I don't remember. Uh, I don't think Corinne and I were married yet back when I was your patient, just living together. Well, anyway, we're married now and she's amazing. Uh, but I don't think I can drop something like this in her lap. Not with everything that's been going on in our lives. So audio journal, it is Uh, long story short. I think I may have hallucinated earlier today. Either I hallucinated or ghosts are real and I saw one. So neither option is good <laughs> as, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, let me slow down. Context. Right. Well, I was at work. I got a job about two years ago with this historic preservation outfit. Um, and up until today, I'd have said it's a great job. Uh, my official title is architectural historian uh, which basically means I assess historic buildings, I research their background, I evaluate any papers or artifacts left behind in these buildings, that kind of stuff. I don't really do the physical work of preserving and restoring these buildings, but I'm the first one on site. All of which is to say I spend a lot of my days in old, creepy, derelict buildings. So you might be thinking... Yeah, no, Sierra, of course you got freaked out and jumped at your own shadow and thought you saw something supernatural. Well, hang on, because it's way, way worse than that. This wasn't a little movement out of the corner of my eye. It wasn't a cat jumping out of a tree. It was, it, it was something I've, it wasn't something I've seen before. Let's put it that way. Everyone who does my job gets those little scares. That happens. But they don't see this stuff. Not not the thing I saw today. It was in this building that was originally the site of a Spanish mission uh, back in the 18th century. And not much of that original structure is still standing. Just a couple of garden walls and a shrine to the Virgin of Guadalupe. The rest of the original church and the priest's living quarters, that's all gone. It's It was replaced by this big adobe blockhouse in the 1870s. So then a, a retired Civil War general lived there until he straight up murdered his family and then killed himself because, you know, toxic masculinity has been around forever. Anyway, after that, the surviving family members turned it into a tuberculosis sanitarium. All of this is just to show you how this place's history is like ghost story bingo. But that's that's not even all that weird in my line of work. I, any building that stands long enough, bad things are going to happen in it. That's just statistics. <sighs> okay, so that's the background. And now for the sighting. Haven't wanted to get into this, but here we go. I was in the, the main ward, the, the room where most of the patients would have slept when it became a sanitarium. It's a real mess now. Uh, the stucco's falling apart. All the original shutters are rotting away. There's a security guard and a fence now that it's being evaluated as a historic property, but squatters got in there at some point and left some shit lying around. Not a fun place. I was taking measurements and pacing out the length of the room when I turned around and I saw someone standing in the doorway. This person was skeletal, way too tall, way too thin. And, and we're not talking like an anorexic human body. I mean, physically impossible proportions. Eight feet tall, 
five inch waist. Nothing you could ever see, even on the skinniest person alive. It was naked, as far as I could tell. But I couldn't really, I couldn't really make out any detail. The light, I should have been able to see everything. The direction the light was coming in through the windows. I should have been able to see everything. But it was like this thing was backlit. It was, it was just a shape or like my eyes kept glancing over everything but the shape. Like walking static. That's what it was like. So facial features, clothes, all that stuff. I couldn't describe it at all. I'm, I'm not even sure it really had a face. There was, there was one thing though. One detail I could really latch onto. One thing I could really focus on. And that was its fingers. This thing, its fingers stretched, I'm not kidding, all the way to the ground. Just these, like these long, like branches. And they were flexing, they were cracking. It was the only sound this thing made the the whole time. So I screamed, (laughs) obviously. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty badass, but that thing was a nightmare. When that happened, when I screamed, it moved. It just kind of half turned and cocked its head. Like a dog, when it is trying to hear something and it can't quite get a beat on it. Which is weird because when I screamed, it was so loud, I just about shattered the windows. But this thing just kind of turned its head back and forth a few times, and then it was gone. It didn't walk out of the room or anything. It just blipped out of existence. So, that's the situation. I very clearly saw and heard something in broad daylight that I don't think could have been there, and I don't know what to do. There's a, a couple other things I should mention here, um, in case I do decide to go back to Dr. Reyes, uh, to you, whatever. Uh, one factor is that my hormones are currently a show because I'm on hormone therapy for an egg donation. Corinne and I are going to start having kids, and, you know, my uterus isn't exactly fertile soil. Sorry, TMI, I'm sure. Um, But she has some scary genetic stuff in her family tree. So we settled on my egg, sperm donor, her uterus, because, you know, why do anything the easy way? Anyway, I'm very aware that my moods are not where they would normally be at, and I was already being really vigilant about that, just given my history of anxiety and depression and all that. So I, I readily acknowledge that there might be some biochemical weirdness going on, uh, but I've read up on it and I couldn't find anything about hormone therapy being responsible for something of this scale. Not, not full on hallucinations. That, that's not a thing that happens. So the second option I'm considering, and the one I like even less than the insanity idea, is that what I saw was real in some some sense. Just just picture me doing big air quotes there. Uh, I'm not entertaining the possibility that the dead walk among us. I'm really not. But I am thinking about the idea that what we refer to as ghosts might describe some kind of real phenomenon that we don't really understand yet. Does that make sense? Maybe? Hi, Z. Welcome back to the Nicholas Life Coaching System. 
I'm Eloise, your personal life coach. I'm offline at the moment, but record an entry now and you'll receive our personalized, award-winning coaching services as soon as I'm back online. You are special and valuable. Good morning, Eloise. It's Z. I know you aren't hearing this in real time. Manager Benno told me the side is out of the range of the wireless, so I can't talk to you on your server directly. It's my first time out of wireless range. Isn't that amazing that there are still places out of wireless range? Anyway, Manager Benno told me even though I can't get my real-time life coaching, I should still make journal entries regularly. He said you'd review them when I get back. Honestly though, I think I'd probably be making entries for you even if it wasn't policy. I can't wait for you to hear all about this place. I think the coaching is working though. I keep thinking I know what you tell me this whole time. Breathe. Be mindful. Synergize my priorities with the companies. Occupy the space of doing for rather than asking for. I'm definitely doing all those things, I promise. It's especially easy to breathe and be mindful out here. I've never been anywhere so quiet. There's wildlife amphibians and birds and insects, but they're so much quieter than the city. I'm the only person for, I don't know, it must be hundreds of miles. Unless there are some off-gridders between here and Dallas, but I doubt it. I landed the shuttle just inside a circular ruin with a clear space in the middle. The surveys say it was a sports complex before Pearl. It's hard to tell now, of course. Most of the walls disintegrated in the 50 years it was underwater, so now it's mainly just a few steel girders and plastic pieces left. I decided to set up camp here because the scan said it was the most stable point and there aren't any ruins that could fall and damage the equipment or hurt me. Just think, there were 12 million people here once, before Pearl. There were 12 million people and then there was a lake and now there's me. And maybe alligators. The survey said there might still be alligators out here. I hope I get to see one. I'm trying to be mindful of what you would say if we were real time now. I think you'd say I'm showing ego distortion since I've talked about my thoughts and feelings, but I haven't said anything about my responsibilities. You'd be right. I have to remember to keep my priorities synergized, not hierarchized. Data collection started as soon as the shuttle landed. The survey has a list of 22 structures in the main site that the company thinks might have historical value. I have drones out now mapping routes. I should be able to get to one or two of them tomorrow. The courthouse is close and it dates back to the 19th century. Since the walls were stone, there's a good chance at least part of it is intact. There are a few others that are more of a long shot, like a major art gallery. Probably nothing survived, but I'll look anyways. I'm so lucky the company put me on the archaeology track. I remember when I was seven and I went in for my assessment and they told me I'd be on the archaeologist track. I didn't even know what that was and all my caregivers talked about the manager track like it was the best one, so I started crying. But then they told me it would mean being able to dig in the dirt even after I grew up, and 
I knew it would be wonderful. And now I finally get to do it, thanks to the company. I get to sit in the middle of these amazing ruins and I get to explore and I get to be the very first person ever to excavate Houston. It's hard to believe anyone wouldn't jump at the chance. Like some of my office mates. One of them, Charisse, we were talking the other day and she said she'd refinance with a different company before she'd agree to this assignment. She said there weren't enough personnel merits in the world to get her to go somewhere that might have alligators and off-gritters. And just in case you're thinking about sending a conduct report to the company, Eloise, don't bother. It was after lights out, and you know that's a free speech period. If you were able to talk to me, Eloise, I think you'd probably tell me it's time for my mindfulness exercises. I'm doing these out in the open today instead of in my office. Here we go. Breathe in. And out. And in. And out. And wait, Eloise. Eloise, someone's here. There's, yeah, someone's here. Someone's standing on one of the girders. I can't make out any detail from here, but there's a figure in some kind of loose clothing. It's not just a piece of old cloth, either. I'm watching this figure walk slowly from one end of the girder to the other. I better... Hang on. Okay, I just sent one of the micro-drones out. I'm sure I'll be able to tell more from the footage. I want to go over there, but Section 7B says not to approach any vagrants. But there aren't supposed to be any vagrants. I would have picked up the heat signature if this person was anywhere near. Oh no, this must mean the equipment's damaged. Wait. Eloise, I don't understand this. I'm looking at the screen, and the drone is capturing a clear picture of the girder, but there's no one standing on it. But I can still see them right now. Well, I guess I won't be in violation of Section 7B if I just get a little closer, just enough to see a bit better. Oh my god. Eloise. It's fingers. ghost again three days later. This time it happened on the back staircase. It would have been a servant staircase back when the house was occupied. It's far steeper and narrower than the main staircase in the front hall, just a, a winding series of flagstones leading down to one of the labs set up in what used to be the kitchens. Since it leads directly to one of the labs, there's also a great deal more foot traffic than in the east corridor. I usually run into someone at least once every time I use those stairs. And one of us always has to press our backs to the wall to let the other pass by. Maintenance is sure never to let the bulbs in that staircase burn out. It would have been dark and dingy in the past, but now 
every corner of that staircase is clearly lit so no one trips and falls. This is important because it means that there's no possibility that this time was my imagination making too much of shadows. There aren't any shadows. This time I heard the cracking as I started down from the third floor. I made my way down slowly, thinking it would be around every turn. I jumped when I heard footsteps coming up, but it was only one of the lab technicians, Joshua. He smiled and stepped aside to let me pass. The cracking sounds echoed up the stairs, loud enough to make me jump, but he acted as though he didn't hear them. I almost asked him about it, but I lost my nerve. I found it on the narrow landing two turns below. It was clearer this time. I still couldn't make out facial features, but its clothes were more distinct. Definitely a woman. This time it didn't seem as though she noticed me. I think her back was turned, although it was hard to tell with the veil. She stood very still for a moment and then she slipped sideways right through the wall of the stairwell, just as though it wasn't there. There are two possible explanations for what I saw. One is that I hallucinated both times, in which case I'm going mad and I'll eventually need to tell Charlie. The other is that this spectre, whatever it is, is a real phenomenon. And if it's a real phenomenon and I was able to see it, that means it's detectable on the visible light spectrum and I should be able to gather data on some sort of equipment. There's only one way to determine which of these explanations is the truth. I'm a scientist and it's time I started acting like one. I've scrounged a few pieces of equipment from the low security labs, items I don't think will be missed. I'm going to see about setting up observation stations in one of the cupboards near the two sites. I'll have to be very careful though. There's no good reason for me to have this equipment, not as far as Dr Sykes is concerned. If I'm caught, they're sure to think I'm losing my mind. Even Charlie wouldn't understand. There is an important part to this. One I've been reluctant to mention. This isn't the first time I've seen a ghost. But that's something I'll talk about another time. Now I have to leave if I want to make it to that god-awful cocktail hour on time. Mirrors is a production of Zoom Doom Stories. It's written and directed by Jamie Killen. It stars Lucy Pierce, Sarah Hemi, and Jamie Killen. You can support the show by visiting patreon.com forward slash mirrors podcast and by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes.
I'm back again, resuming the recording I was making earlier. I managed to survive yet another cocktail hour, and I may even have managed to gather a little bit of useful information from one of the wives. The wives. <laughs> there are a lot of reasons to hate cocktail hour, but that one is the worst. One can't just be oneself, you see. When you are a wife of a scientist at the shipwreck, there is a script that must be followed and a part that must be played. It's like having a second job on top of the one I already do all day. That, incidentally, is my greatest failure as a capital W wife. They simply cannot comprehend why I insist on working, why I don't just spend my days at home waiting for Charlie. Honestly, there are times when I don't understand myself. I studied to be a physicist after all, not a secretary. Charlie and I got our degrees at the same time and I qualified higher than needed, but he has a lab coat and I have a steno pad. Maybe I should just stay home and treat myself to a lunchtime scotch every day. But some part of me must still believe I can work my way up, that I can make it into the labs. I say the wives, but that's not really fair. It's not all of them. Just Martha Bloody Sykes, the Queen Bee. The rest only follow her lead, except for Patty Lancaster. She's quite lovely, really. Just not outspoken enough to stand up to Martha. Martha likes to do things like look at one of the other women and say, Oh, what a lovely brooch. The things you can find at a yard sale. Today I stood around sipping my Manhattan and sneaking a glance at Charlie every few seconds, waiting for the moment we could make our excuses and leave. We always hold cocktail hour in the old greenhouse, which Martha has turned into a place to torment us for her own amusement. I was trying to avoid Martha by chatting with Patty. We were talking about something unimportant, a film she'd seen. Then suddenly... As she looked out the window at the shipwreck across the lawn, uh, Patty wrapped her shawl more tightly around her shoulders and shivered. Then she said, It's just such a gloomy place. Something about it just frightens me. She avoided my eye as she said it. I wondered if she was ashamed for being silly about an old house. Martha pounced like a cat onto a poor little mouse. Oh yes, she said. Well, you know it's history, don't you? No, what? Patty asked. Martha said, Oh, now, these are just rumours, but they say the old house sold to the Institute so cheaply because the last owner murdered his wife. She was years younger than him, you know, and the old man became convinced she was carrying on with a gardener, so he strangled her to death <laughs> somewhere in the east wing of the house. She looked positively gleeful as she told this terrible story. The other wives gasped and went on about how awful it was, but I just stopped listening. I just thought about that figure in the East Corridor and wondered if someone had died on the back stairs as well. I don't know yet, but I think it's something to look into. If it turns out that this house is some kind of tragic, damaged history, then perhaps it can lead me to some kind of explanation for what's happening.
Okay, it's Sierra again. Time for an update. I still haven't told anyone what I saw in Furling House. I still haven't called Dr. Reyes. Not because I've written off the hallucination possibility. I'm definitely not there yet. It's more, um... It feels like if I go back to my psychiatrist, then I've locked myself into that explanation. It feels like that's something I can do later, but if I want to explore other possibilities, really explore them, then I have to do that first. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's what I've found. It's been a deep dive of about two days of clandestine online research. Uh, I told Corinne I was playing Skyrim, which I knew she would never check up on or have any questions about. And before you ask, yes, I felt guilty about lying to her, and no, I don't do that often. Anyway, so what I found was mainly a whole lot of ghost hunters crap. You know, viral ghost videos with bad special effects, that kind of thing. But if you really dig down, like way down, then you get to the legit stuff. Anthropologists and folklorists who have really done their research. And their take on it is that hauntings are a cultural universal. Every culture on Earth has some kind of freaky specter that haunts the night. Now, that said, there's a lot of variation and they mean different things. So there's hauntings that are like Amityville style, you know, ghosts as the unsettled or vengeful dead. Those are usually confined to a specific location. Then there's non-human spirits. There's all kinds of those. Banshees and the Slender Man and other creatures who weren't ever human and who go around either killing or eating or just scaring people. Of course, once you get away from the theoretical anthropological stuff and try to find empirical evidence of this stuff existing, well, then you're pretty much back into ghost hunters territory. There is, okay, there's some ideas I could try out. I mean, obviously, step one is setting up a camera and something to record sound. If I catch a picture of this thing at Furling House, then yeah, awesome. I'm not really holding my breath on that one, though, because the idea that ghosts don't usually show up on film is pretty widespread. There's other kinds of equipment people swear by. EMF readers and like that. But it seems awfully expensive for what most people agree is total pseudoscience. And this fertility treatment stuff is already hitting the checking account pretty hard. So I think I'm going to go a little more low tech for now. I got some security cameras and an app. I can check 24 hours a day and I'm going to go set them up at Frelling House. That's step one. I don't have step two yet. But I have a plan, and uh, I like having a plan. I feel better. Hi, Z. Welcome back to the Nicholas Life Coaching System. I'm Eloise, your personal life coach. I'm offline at the moment, but record an entry now, and you'll receive our personalized, award-winning coaching services as soon as I'm back online. You are special and valuable. Hi, Eloise. I think you'd probably be a little disappointed in my productivity today. Sorry, no, that's ego projection. Let me try that again. My own assessment of my own productivity for today was that it was below my goals and my potential. I take responsibility for that. I let myself down and I let the company down, mainly by not completing eight out of my 11 day two objectives. 
I know we're not supposed to blame forces beyond our control. I know what you'd say if you were here. We can always choose the path of decisive action and strong work ethic, even in the face of unexpected occurrences. But I think when you say things like that, you're talking about equipment failures, lost emails, illness, not not whatever I saw yesterday. I was in the middle of our session yesterday when I saw whatever was out there on top of that girder. Even now, after mindfulness exercises and reflection, I still can't really describe it. Thin and long-boned and translucent almost. A kind of shivery figure with long skeletal fingers. Of course, as soon as I got back to the shuttle, I checked all the sensors. The life forms within a 50 mile radius are fish, insects, small mammals. No other humans, no bipeds, except for me, which I already knew. I wasn't sure which company protocol to follow at first, medical or unexpected encounter. The med protocol assumes a documented injury or illness, which I didn't have, but the unexpected encounter protocol is only intended for a confirmed sighting of an unauthorized resident. I didn't have either one of those. In the end, I employed dynamic problem solving and ran an environmental scan while I was in the medical pod having a full workup. The med scans didn't show any hallucinogenic substances or structural brain issues. That means my working theory about toxic mold from the flood site doesn't work. And it means I don't have a blood clot or a tumor. I also tested negative for the chemical markers for schizophrenia and all mood disorders. My blood pressure and stress hormones were high, but that would be a result of seeing whatever was out there. But the environmental deep scan didn't pick up any other new life forms, so either way, I couldn't explain it. I finally decided to pilot a drone far enough outside the flood site to set up a communication antenna and submit a report to Manager Benno. I was told only to do that in an emergency, but I decided this qualified. Before I left, I heard a lot about how the Houston flood site is a communication dead zone, but no one could really explain why. The water shouldn't really make a difference, and the satellite coverage should be just fine. I asked around a little bit, but Manager Benno filed a chastisement for distraction on my quarterly assessment, so I dropped it. Anyway, I got the drone far enough out to get a signal. I told Manager Benno everything I'd seen and uploaded all the scan results. There was a delay in the feed, but eventually I got a response. He just said, Continue to pursue all original goals and objectives. Document any further anomalous sightings. You are special and valuable. Some managers sound like they mean that last part. When Benno says it, it just reminds you that it's what they say to everyone. Sorry, I'm allowing myself to slip below the negativity line. I have to prioritize forward-thinking, proactive responses. I just... There was something about Manager Benno's response that bothered me. It was too quick. Even with the fee delay, he responded so quickly. Too quickly to have asked anyone about it. Too quickly to have even read my test results and scan reports now that I think about it. So I'm wondering, why wasn't he more surprised to hear what I saw? Why didn't he have any doubts about me? I know managers are supposed to value and support their employees, but I would be worried about a subordinate who said the kinds of things I just said. I know that's the kind of second guessing that creates doubt clouds and undermines company community, but... I've been trying empathy exercises for hours, and I just can't understand his thinking. Well, 
I'm not a manager. I should trust Manager Benno, especially if he trusts me with a mission this important. Trust builds trust. Right. That'll be my mindfulness focus today. Trust builds trust. I've been putting it off, talking about the ghosts I saw before, when I was a child. I saw them the night the churches burned. I've put them out of my head until now, but I don't think I would be a responsible researcher if I didn't own up to this at the start. I was only eight when the Blitz started, too young to remember the early days of the war very clearly. But I remember that night, just after Christmas. As soon as the air raid sirens went off, my mother tried to take me to our usual shelter. I'm not sure where, but it had been bombed. So we tried to make our way to another one, but the air was full of smoke and we could see the glow of the fire over the rooftops. I learned later that about 20 ancient churches were lost that night. Over 150 dead. But for me, that night will always be the night of the ghosts. The first one stood in front of a dark shop window. The glass had been shattered and the ghost hovered just above the pile of glass on the sidewalk. Even from across the street, I heard the cracking of its long fingers, the same cracking I heard in the East Corridor. I heard those cracking fingers even over the racket of the fires and the bombs and an ambulance passing by. I can still hear it. I screamed and held my mother's hand tighter, tried to make her see, but she was frantic with fear of the bombs and she thought I was afraid of the same thing. There were five more that night. They were all slightly different shapes and sizes. The first faded out around where the waist should have been, but another walked on long legs. One towered above me, while another was barely my own height. Some had a shape that seemed like a nightgown or a dress to me, but on others I couldn't make out any clothing at all. They stood on rooftops, in alleyways, in the middle of the street, even on top of a parked ambulance. But all of them, every single one, had those long cracking fingers. I told my mother afterwards. She wrote it off as the shock of the bombs, the fire. Of course she did. It was what made the most sense and she wasn't a stupid woman. I know what someone might say if they heard this, <laughs> what I should be thinking to myself. I first saw these things as a young girl, traumatised by the blitz, and now I'm seeing the same things again, an ocean away. Shouldn't I consider the possibility that I'm having a mental breakdown? Of course I'm considering that, of course I am. 
Why do you think I'm hiding recording equipment in the corridors, in the stairwell? Why do you think I plan on lurking in the hallways with a camera and reading up on how to detect and measure electromagnetic fields? I need to know. Whether I'm mad or not, I need to know. Hey, Sierra again. It's 11.30 at night. Same day as my last entry, but I have an update and I wanted to wait until Corinne went to bed. She usually hits the hay pretty early. She, she's a doctor, a pediatrician. I can't decide if that's going to be a benefit or a real pain in the ass when we have kids. On the one hand, she'll know if something is just a cold and she won't freak out about every little thing. But on the other hand, she's seen kids with diseases that would make your blood run cold. Speaking of which... <sighs> Jesus Christ. One of the big divides I saw online was talking about ghosts who are bound to a specific place, like a house or an abandoned mental hospital, versus ghosts that haunt people or can go anywhere. Like that thing in that one movie, um... The one with Barbara Hershey? Whatever, I don't remember. Point is, I saw that same thing again, but it wasn't at Furling House this time. Or maybe it wasn't even the same one, maybe a different one, but the same general species? I don't know. Uh, same general thing, just not at Furling House. It was nowhere near it. It was a new site, one I was seeing for the first time today. Which is its whole own weird thing, because my caseload is already pretty full, and there's generally more conversation about who's going to take on which projects, but this time my supervisor just kind of dropped this one on my desk and told me to get out there. It's an early 20th century townhouse, owned by one of the first Arizona state senators and his family. Someone involved in drafting the Arizona Constitution. I don't know much more about it than that at this point, since I haven't had time to dig into the research. But it's a different time period than Furling House, different style, different part of town, no connections that I can see, except, except when I got in there and started my initial sweep through the house, I saw something. This, this place, this house is in better shape than Furling House. People were still living there until recently, until a foreclosure, um, until people got interested in it as a historic site. So there's a layer of 21st century over this whole thing. You know, newish paint, modern electrical outlets, laminate wood over the original flooring. But you can still feel the age, and you can see it if you know where to look. At this point, I was still thinking about the sighting as specific to Furling House, so I didn't really have my guard up. But then, while I was in the pantry, I heard something in the kitchen. I knew that sound. Right away, I recognized it. That cracking sound. I really, really wanted to run without checking, but the only exit was through the kitchen, so I was kind of stuck. So I went. This one, and, and I realize I'm talking about them like they're distinct entities and not hallucinations, but whatever. This one had some differences from the first. It was clearly a woman, for starters. 
the outline was blurry, but I could see the shape of a, a calf length skirt and something about her head made me think her hair was long, but pinned up like in a bun. She was standing at the sink and her hands were under the faucet. I watched for a while, I think about 30 seconds or a minute, but I couldn't understand what she was doing. Those fingers were moving. They were kind of tangled up in the sink, but I, I don't really know what she was doing there. I tried to kind of inch around her without noticing, and I thought I was succeeding until I stepped on a creaky part of the floor. That scared me so bad that I let out a sound. Not quite a scream, but a yelp, I guess you could say. That stopped her. She turned to look at me over her shoulder, and I ran for it. Not the scientific thing to do, I know. I've been going over it all day, ever since I got out of the townhouse. And here's the thing that stood out. She didn't respond when the floor squeaked. I'm really sure about that. The more I think about it, the floor was really loud, but she didn't react. She didn't react until... I made a sound until it came out of my mouth. Something about that sequence of events, something about that seems important. I don't know what it means, but I think it means something. Mirrors is a production of Zoom Doom Stories. It's written and directed by Jamie Killen, it stars Lucy Pierce, Sarah Hemi, and Jamie Killen. You can support the show by visiting patreon.com forward slash mirrors podcast and by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Again, that was Mirrors, chapters one and two from Zoom Doom Stories. For more information and episodes, visit mirrorspodcast.com. Also, be sure to follow Lucy Pierce, the voice of Helen, at LucyPierce888 for updates about a new audio drama podcast she is starring in and co-producing. And that's it for tonight. Don't forget you can find this and all of our past episodes at our website, midnightaudiotheater.com, along with our collection of MAT features. And we're always open to your questions and suggestions at midnightaudiotheater at gmail.com. So drop us a line. And while you're online, don't forget to like us at our Facebook page. We'll be back next week, audio drama fans. Same bat time, same bat channel. I'm Kathy Ranella saying thank you for joining us for another night of audio drama. And stay tuned. The BBC World News is coming up next.